All right. Welcome, folks. Welcome back to Larger, Freer, More Loving. As always, I'm Matt Levine. I'm Dwight Lewis. And last time we talked about Black masculinities with Tommy Curry and John Youngblood. And tomorrow we're talking counter histories and philosophy with John Harfosh, Mina Krishnamurti, and Peter K.J. Park. But today we're doing something new for the show. A quick cast. An in-depth account of some one individual issue that grabs our attention off of our planned episodes. And this brings us to our guest today, Professor Emerita of Philosophy at Calvin <laughs> College, Christina Van Dyke. Thank you so much for being here today, Christina. Thank you for having me, guys. Yeah, so... So before we start asking about what caught our attention, uh, we wanted you to have the opportunity to be the one framing the account of what happened. Uh, so tell us about yourself and what brought you here, Christina, please. Ha! Okay, so first off, I laughed when you said Emerita because that's the funniest twist at the end of the story to me. Um, <laughs> I'm 48, right? Like, <laughs> I keep joking that 48 is the new 80. <laughs> right. <laughs> Gonna get all kinds of mad respect for my emeritus status. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> but what it really just means is that I got laid off <laughs> as a full professor. Yeah, so um, I started teaching at Calvin College in 2001. It was my second job. I, I went to grad school at Cornell and did medieval philosophy and had a two-year visiting spot at St. Louis University and then got a tenure track spot at Calvin. And for me, that was, that was fantastic yeah. for personal as well as professional reasons. Uh, my family actually lives in Grand Rapids. Oh. Yeah, right? <laughs> and my parents live here, and there's sort of long history with Calvin. I'd actually gone there as an undergrad. Oh. Yeah. Thank you. And the other, like, I, I, at that point, had a son who was three, and one of the motivations for moving back to Grand Rapids was that I knew I was going to suddenly be single parenting 24-7. And so we literally, like, so my child David and I moved in with my parents for the first year that I was at Calvin just to try to get my life back together. Oh. And, and Calvin was so great. Hmm. Like, they were so good at putting their money where their mouth was in terms of supporting family. Like I got to choose my schedule so that I could do all my teaching while David was in school and, and it was great. Like they're, they were super supportive with junior faculty and then, you know, went on and got tenured full professor. And so that all seemed happy and good. And you tell yourself like, I mean, that's it, right? Like you get tenure it. and you're like, yeah, <laughs> job security. <laughs> and agree, literally until the third week of June this year, I just assumed that that was my life. Wow. Right? Because that's what, I mean, this is what grad school teaches you. And this is what the profession of philosophy teaches you. Um, but Calvin's had financial problems, 
um, for a while now, like a lot of smaller liberal arts colleges in the Midwest and, you know, education everywhere has, but they got COVID hit hard because like, you know, these smaller liberal arts colleges, it's mostly a residential campus. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, they got the June one enrollment numbers and we're like, holy crap. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. You know, and the president that we have now has a really strong commitment to kind of staying in the black and not taking on huge amounts of debt. <sighs> Right. And you can think a lot of things about that. And I'm, you know, it partly it's because of the president that we had before who did not take that approach yeah, and yeah. left the new president with $128 million debt. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole nother story. Uh... Mm -hmm. But basically when they got the enrollment numbers, they had the super intense series of meetings and they literally amended the faculty handbook through faculty senate to be able to do what they're calling vertical cuts. So before the only way, you can cut as much of this as you want, but the only, <laughs> <laughs> this is I'm just like laying out the whole thing here. Then you no, can ask questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, the only way normally to cut tenured faculty is if you cut the program that they're part of. Okay, okay. Retrenchment. And what? Retrenchment. Exactly. And so in 2015, they, you know, like they'd actually cut the theater program here and they'd cut, you know. And so they amended the faculty handbook because they're like, look, at this point, we need to go, like, we need to shrink our budget enough that we couldn't just cut programs. And so they, they made this faculty amendment to like do these vertical cuts and they're like, okay, we, we need to, we need to cut 20 to 25 lines. Hmm. Yeah. 20 to 25 lines across 18 departments. And probably like over the next couple of years, there'll be more. So basically like Calvin is going to end up being a 3000 or even 2,500 student school when they'd always been a 4,000 student school. Uh, exactly. Because if you look at the, just like the demographics for students graduating from high school in the Midwest, they kind of take this super sharp downward spiral. And so it's not, it's not looking like it's gonna get better anytime soon. So long story short, this all is happening like the first two weeks of June and philosophies thinking, okay, I mean, we've already lost some people. We'd hired somebody new and she'd gotten a job at an R1 school. So she was already leaving and we're like, okay, okay. We're looking pretty good. Um, and then the chair got noticed that we had to, we, we were one of the departments that had to cut a full-time person. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and named the person who was kind of the default person to get the ax, who was the least senior person. No. Yes. 
Yeah, nothing subtle, right? Like they're like, okay, we have to do this according to a procedure. Here's the default, right? It's we're gonna the default's gonna be seniority, and there might be area issues and stuff like that. But and at that point, as as soon as they'd started talking about how many faculty they were gonna have to cut, I was like, holy crap! If if they cut somebody in philosophy. Like, you know, how do you think about that? And who should it be? And, and then for me, it was instantly a question of like, okay, should I, should I volunteer to be that person? And the, I mean, the reason that occurred to me in the first place was just, I'm at a particular stage in my life and my career where I had a certain kind of freedom and space. Like my, like I've single parented my child and he was graduating college, right? Like he just graduated. And so, you know, he is, his tuition benefited. It was like done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so there's that. And my partner is at Brooklyn college in New York city. And so, you know, He's here now because they're online, but long-term we've got a two body problem to solve. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, there's a good chance that I would be leaving anyway in the next five years. I, I can't imagine, like it's just this, I, I literally can't imagine keeping my job now and watching them cut someone else. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then leaving, you know, like a couple of years later. Or even just knowing that, you know, like it would have made so much more sense for it to be me. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, yes. That's mind blowing. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, and I, I called, I called the person, I called the person whose job, you know, like who was supposed to be the default person. And I was like, hey, would you be okay if I basically volunteered as tribute? Yeah, yeah, wow, wow. Because I also didn't want to just be all, you know, like, I'm going to come in and save your ass, whether you want to or not. No, that's the right thing. That was the right thing. But it is like we're sitting here and we've been talking about this for weeks now. Um, probably even longer how mind-blowing it is that you even like even even when the majority of people would have all of these things right like, they would still then place themselves in front of other people and try to protect their own their own safety their own being and so I, right. the reason me and Matt were so like impressed um, and like heartwarmed by uh, <laughs> your example was that it, it it didn't take this selfish move that we're also said that we're also told as part of human nature right right and so it's one of those things that i really thought i really was like man this is where someone is actually you know has these particular beliefs is actually applying them to their life and it's spitting out of the other end and it's mm -hmm. like true, right? Um, <laughs> and it's a, and the thing is, we see people all the like. I would say the majority of people that I see do this, and they start with their truths, and they come, they hit their lives, and they come out a whole other thing. Yeah. Um, so we are like, 
man, I'm really <laughs> blown right now that you took the steps that you did, even, and it's like, I, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna push on you and say, I don't care if you had all of this other stuff. <laughs> like, like, yo, <laughs> like you stepped out on a ledge and didn't just step mm-hmm. out on a ledge, jumped, right? Yeah. Um, and you may have had a parachute, it, but still, right? Still, you well, jumped. Um, yeah. And that's, that's sort of, you know, like, so I made this choice within 24 hours oh, of wow. hearing, well, cause we'd, I can't, you know, we'd had like maybe a week to psychologically prepared and I talked about it with Andy and I talked about it with David, you know, and I'd like talked about it with people that like, I re- like the people I really trust and my, yeah, my partner's first reaction was like, holy crap. <laughs> You know, because he's like, are you going to seriously do this? Like, how are we going to live? And like, what, you know, like, so he definitely had the sort of more the self-preservation instinct that maybe I lack a bit. (laughs) You know, but we sat down and like worked it out on paper. Okay, okay. You know, I'm like, okay, here's why I think we could do this financially. (laughs) you know like we can we can do it if we do this and this and this and and so i i was you know and we've had time to think about it but still a week for a decision like this is still so short it's so short it's It's so so short but it had to be then right because that was it was like push comes to shove they're making these decisions this week if I don't tell them, you know, to, to lay me off instead of this other person, they will lay this other person off this week. And so, and then it was just really easy. Like the actual moment, it was, uh, so I spent a lot of time recently working on contemplative philosophy and a lot on, um, like medieval contemplative philosophy, because that's where the women are writing. And so I'm trying to bring their voices into, you know, philosoph- like philosophical discussions. But yeah, working on contemplative philosophy, it does give you kind of a different eye and a different framework to think about some of these things. And so I've been writing this book for like the last two or three years where one of the repeating themes is that, yeah, you do have to be the love in the world and you do have to be the truth in the world. Cause like at the end of the day, there's nothing else. Yeah. And, and I gotta say, like, it was one of those moments where there was like absolutely no kind of wavering. I was like, okay, I know exactly what I have to do. Huh. So, and then I had six weeks, <laughs> then I had six weeks before the decision was final where I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> I bet that was hard. I bet that was hard. Oh, yeah. Because it's mulling like, over it, mulling over yeah. it. <laughs> well, it's more like, holy crap, like, what does this really mean for the rest of my life? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I've never, I've never regretted the choice. But I had this moment where I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've got this book with OUP. And it's coming out in the next year. And is it just going to have my name? You know, like, Christina Van Dyke is a person 
<laughs> you know, like holy crap, I don't have an academic affiliation. What am I gonna lose my like edu address and I'll be like pretty girl sixty-nine at hotmail.com <laughs> Right? I'll be like that part of identity was yeah, I think yeah. the hardest part to kind of start to come to terms with. Mm-hmm. And you're young. Yeah. Right. Like I'm just supposed to be hitting my stride. Right. A, yeah. But you're like at lot- that point where you don't have to worry about your identity. Exactly. Right? You've been building up on that. Exactly. Like chill and live that out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I mean I you know, had thought about going other places, but the thought of leaving Calvin without another job, it just never even entered my noggin. Yeah, so, so. sorry, you, you, you hit on a couple things here that I was interested in. So I, I wanna, I, I, I wanna see if, if, if you've got more to say about any of the, either of these. So, so, you know, as much as we wanted to encourage everyone to be living out their principles and to be putting our money where our mouths are, you know, we don't want to pretend that this doesn't have serious costs too. Exactly. Right. So, so I guess that, that that's one direction we could go here. Do you have more to say about that aspect of the decision and how you thought about it while deliberating? Um, oh, or, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, please. Would you say more about that? I mean, like I said, my, my, personal circumstances played a large role in why I felt like I could make this decision. Like I would never tell somebody else to make the decision that I did. Right. Cause I don't know what their life is like. And I don't know, even if I had a different kind of temperament, I might not have been able to make this choice. Yeah. Mm. Right. Mm. But mm. And, and just for me too, it was knowing the other person mm. also and knowing like the likely effects that this would have on them and on their life. And that's again, like why I called them and talked to them before I made the call because it's really complicated to live out your truth. And there are so many ways to do it. And there are probably ways in which if I were a different person and my circumstances were different, staying at Calvin would have meant living out my truth. Mm -hmm. You know, like one of the, one of the reasons I've stayed at Calvin so long is because I'm really committed to supporting LBGT plus students and Calvin's a Christian institution. And there hasn't always historically been a lot of acceptance and space for students like that. And so I've spent, you know, a lot of my career at Calvin trying to make my classrooms and to make Calvin as safe a space as possible for, you know, these kinds of students. And so that was really one of the things I thought about. I'm like, okay, cost benefit, right? Like I could, if if this had been four or five years ago and I didn't have a partner who had a job and David was still say even in high school, right? Like different thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like a different choice. Like I might've made a different choice, but as it was, the choice ended up feeling really simple, even if the costs for it in other ways are high. Mm -hmm. And I guess the way I was thinking about it too, there's, 
I mean, this goes back to the contemplative stuff, right? There's, there's like this kind of inner peace that I can't live without, mm. you know, like I, I would, being able to live with myself <laughs> is, is so important. And, and the thought that I could have done something here really could have and didn't would just, you know, how can I face my students? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like, how can you go talk to your students then? I always tell them, especially like in philosophy of gender, I'm like, you pick your battles. Don't try to fight all the battles at one time. You're going to burn out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're, you're, you just can't because you see them come in and they're so like, you know, like my favorite kinds of Christian are this like social justice activist Christians. And they're like fired with this love for truth and for changing the world and making it better. And you see so many of those kids come in and you're like, guys, you can't do all the things all the time. You got to choose your battles. So, and so, this was so, mine now. So I got a question then. Yeah. What do, you, what do you tell them in relationship to picking their battles? Like how, do, how should they go about actually picking those battles? Right, which, yeah, I know this is a hard one. Because I know. Again, it relates to who someone is, but it's like, <laughs> I'm asking a really broad question. <laughs> oh yeah, well, I mean, yeah. And the students always ask that too. They're like, how do I know what my battles are? And I guess my first answer is that they will come find you. Okay right? You don't have to go out and find battles. Usually like the ones that you're meant to fight are, are they're going to find you and you're going to have to avoid them. <laughs> and they'll, they'll usually be like a couple that, you know, like for, for my partner, I'm like that, like he's still, he's actually out grocery shopping. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like for him, working with first gen students and non-trad students, like that's what fires him up yeah, and yeah. you know like he's gonna bend over backwards to you know he's done the melon maze program with various students and you know brooklyn college and and so sometimes i feel like it's gonna be easier to figure out which battles to fight than which ones not to fight yeah yeah like knowing where the boundary is or like the cutoff mark yeah, I think you're right in that. I think that is the that is the hardest part. <laughs> and I mean, honestly, this is like why a good support network. You need. I mean, this is why if you have a good support network, one of the main jobs I think of like a good friend is to be like, chill. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think that's really good. I think that's really good, man. Yeah. So I mean, you. So you also brought up here connections directly to your philosophical work. Mm -hmm. right? and, and this this seems sort of part and parcel about what we're talking about here is living out principles, but also recognizing that philosophy is actually interwoven in the lives that we actually live. Oh, exactly. Right. So 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 yeah, I'm 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 just I guess, are there, are there any more aspects of your philosophical work you can talk about that you felt like came in here? So, right, so, so you talked about medieval philosophy, you do philosophy of gender. Did you feel like mm -hmm. some, some gendered aspects came into this at all? Yeah, actually the gendered aspects were the part that made me hesitate because my department doesn't have a lot of women. And, then, yeah. and I knew if I left, I was leaving one female colleague. 
And the whole department's way smaller now. I mean, when I got there, it was 14, it was 14 people. And now it's five. Wow, Calvin had a lot of philosophy professors. Yeah. <laughs> it's been, what? Oh, you I, went to Wheaton? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're um, you know, family, in the same family. Yeah, we, oh my gosh, do you know why I didn't get the job at Wheaton? Why? Did you ever hear that? No, I didn't know you applied. Oh my gosh, okay, so th this is like maybe a side thing. You can cut this out later, but it totally fits with what we're talking about. So when I was, a, when I was at St. Louis University and I didn't have a tenure track job yet, Wheaton actually called me and said, they didn't have any women in their department. Yeah. Right. And they didn't have any medievalists in their department and they really wanted both. <laughs> and so they called and they're like, Hey, would you be willing to apply for a job that they, it basically, I mean, this is like in the old days, right? I don't think they listed it. Mm -hmm. I was like the only person they were looking at. Wow. That sounds like Wheaton though. Wheaton will still right? do that. Still do that now. Let's yeah. So, so I like, I, you know, like I wrote the essays and I like looked at the statement of faith and the statement of responsibilities and I'm like, okay, okay. Statement of faith has a little creationisty, but there are ways to read it, <laughs> right? There are ways to interpret it that I, I can, I can live with, but the statement of responsibilities had something in there about how they thought that it was fornication, homosexuality and adultery yep. were sins. Yep, yep. And so I put a little asterisk next to the homosexuality. And I said, it's not clear. To, and I gave him like the softest version possible, right? I'm like, it's not so philosophical. It's like, it's not clear to me that the Bible unambiguously condemns all forms of same-sex relationships. Mm -hmm. And that was for them. That was, well, yeah, their provost at the time Who's, do you remember who it was Stan Jones? Okay, this was before Dwight. Yeah. Well, this was, I think it was right after um, Leftist. Was that his name? The um, president? I can't remember that one. Um, yeah. But there was, there was, yeah. And so the department chair was like, are you sure you want to keep this? It's going to, it's going to like raise some eyebrows. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. Cause that was already the soft, like, that was like the mildest version I could possibly have given you. And yeah, it ended up being like they called off my they called off my flyout the night I was supposed to leave. Yep, sounds like we because <laughs> they they'd had this huge discussion and but I mean it was the only job I was still a finalist for at this point. Wow, I've been a finalist for three jobs that year, and that was the only one that I was wow. still a finalist for. I'm sorry, and I was just like I can't. But again, like you made the right decision. Exactly. And it was, I was also like practicality, right? You're like, if they can't live with that version <laughs> of me, <laughs> this is not going to be a place where. I mean, we were, while I was there, we were fighting the entire time. Uh, yeah. LGBTQ plus. Yeah. We were fighting oh, the, whole, yeah. the whole time. Yep. They just didn't care. And actually, when I left, it seems like over the past 10 years, you know, Wheaton has become even more conservative. Um, yes. So well, that's, yeah. Wheaton's in a, I think it's in a bad space. Um, and I think they need I to, think that, yeah. Like, I've been saying for years, sorry to keep interrupting you. <laughs> I've yeah. been saying for years that Calvin has always had, like, one foot in, like, 
high level academic philosophy and like, you know, the department and like one foot in the sort of Christian world that's increasingly evangelical and conservative. And there used to be a way to have a conversation between those spaces. Mm -hmm. And that's what Calvin and Wheaton were really good at. Really good at, I agree. Yeah, so good at it. I agree. You know, Arthur frickin' Holmes at Wheaton? I know, yo, on his, on it, on it, on it. Yeah, like I have so many friends who went there and got these amazing educations and are doing incredible things now. But like, as those two poles have pulled apart culturally, like these schools, like there's a point where you've got to like jump to one side or the other because like you're, you're only from so far you can stretch. Yep. No, you're and right. Wheaton made that jump a while ago. And I think, yeah, just like, it's just what's happening. Yep. And the wild thing is, is I haven't been back since, you know? Yeah. Um, but because it, it, it doesn't feel like home to me anymore. You know? Exactly. Was, they were doing a really good job when I was there. Yeah. Uh, like if they would have kept that trajectory, we would be in a whole nother space. Um, yeah. They were at least trying, you know, and now I feel like yep. was, um, they've given up a little bit. Uh, yeah. But I am going to so. say, I'm going to steer us back to uh, match. Oh, no, 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 do it. I was just like, but the, the Wheaton thing. Yeah. Like that was the other job that I basically <laughs> didn't end up with because I was like, hmm. Smart though. Smart though. Yeah. So uh, we're going to go back to Matt's question about the way yes. that uh, gender or your work in philosophy of gender. Oh, yeah. So obviously, having like the theoretical background of power dynamics and how you think about interacting and resistance and how the actions you make kind of ripple outward and ripple back impacted how I think about my life in general, but especially these kinds of decisions, right? And so particularly like why, why would I want to kind of make sure there was still a space for a more vulnerable person? Well, precisely because these are the voices that the field needs, yeah, yeah. right? This is somebody who does incredible stuff on animal ethics right? And he's like really committed to, you know, and there's space for that in it, Calvin and in the world. And these are voices that are still kind of coming into their strength. And so then I was thinking about myself and I'm like, look, I love what I do. I love teaching. I love being a professor, but I'm doing medieval philosophy. <laughs> and even if I'm doing, right, even if I'm bringing, you know, women's voices into these conversations, like that's something that I can keep doing. Like I'm not going to lose yeah, yeah, yeah. what I really value about what I do if I don't have a position at a university for a while or maybe even ever. Like I give a lot of talks, I get a, you know, I get invited to do a lot of things and I'm still going to get to do that stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas wow. like this other person, like I think their, their academic voice at least would have just gotten silenced. And yep. so, yeah, I mean, that's definitely part of how I think about it. And then the contemplative stuff too, I spent a lot of time working on the concept of self-knowledge. 
and about how self-knowledge is fundamental for living a meaningful life and making meaningful connections. And, and that's, I guess, come up in a bunch of things I've said before. Just thinking that I like, I know myself in the sense that I know what I need to do to live the kind of life that I believe in. And one thing that, the, that these contemplatives and mystics have, like, end up saying is the real kind of self-knowledge lets you live that out. It's not just like theoretical, it's like embodied. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? And I guess this is like one of those moments where I'm like, oh, can I swear? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, fuck yeah. Like, this is a moment where I, like making this choice, felt like an embodied act of self-knowledge and and you know and like even i've spent weeks now kind of mourning the loss of this position and the loss of Mm. but it it feels like clean grief yeah 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 you know whereas i think if i had tried to stay and there was just this jagged hole where like you know this more junior person was missing yeah 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 it would just kind of fester yeah yeah it's mind-blowing because a lot of people are actually like living their lives with those festering wounds i know and and they're just and they're just okay with it Uh, oh i know and i just i've never understood that me neither (laughs) me neither yeah Um, at all you really made a larger, freer, more loving decision. No. Uh, I know. I, when you guys told me what the name of your podcast was, I was like, <laughs> oh, that's so perfect. <laughs> and that's the world we- amazing. He finds a way to bring it into every episode. Yeah. <laughs> he surprises me with it every time. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of world we want to live in. I agree. I agree. I agree. He gets it. Like, Bob- Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, we talked about Christianity a little bit in this. Um, and I think that not only, like, of course, this is a, a good mantra for the world, but I think this has even more of a tie to Christianity, especially if you want to talk about yep. uh, the New Testament um, and the Gospels um, and who Jesus was. And I think oh, that yeah. living, it's like, this is a, like, this is actually living out the Gospel, right? Instead of exactly. like, exactly. Instead of forcing things down people's throat, instead, yep. of, instead of condemning people, instead of putting yourself in a position of superiority, it's about yeah. in, in helping others live a life that's larger, freer, and more loving. It's like yeah, that's, you like enter that world. Yes, and it's a very different space, and a lot of people, you know, are probably not there with you. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but but that doesn't mean you can't you know uh, live in a community that's attempting to do things. Right, you know, exactly. And it's not even right. It's just like kind, considerate, right, consistent. Exactly. Not even about like. There's. I'm not saying that larger, freer, more loving is right. What I'm saying is that I think that it's <laughs> more for like a com- for communal difference. You know, mm-hmm. it allows for communal difference in a way that you can't get oftentimes without thinking about yourself and your relations with other people's. Oh, yeah. This way. Well, and a lot of that, for me, like, getting divorced when I was, what, 28, 29, and had this three-year-old, 
like my ex um, had addiction issues and mental health issues. And it was so hard because I came from a community where that was not okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. And yeah, (laughs) you know, and there were so many times though where somebody did something kind for me or like generous or helped with David or just helped. And I'd always be like, what can I do to repay you? Cause if, you know, like we have this like transactional notion sometimes of how grace works, which is so messed up. And I think that was when I started to get it because I remember one of my friends looked me straight in the, <laughs> like straight in the eyes. And she was like, you are not in a position to like repay me now. This is not what this is about. You're going to repay this later to someone else, you know, and that, that made such a difference to how I think about things. It's not about repaying somebody now. It's like 15 years later, you're in a position and you're like, look, I'm going to do this for you. And don't you dare try to pay me back. That is not the point. You're going to pay this forward. That's yeah. The lover said that to you sounds so much like my mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you had a good mom then. <laughs> she, saw it. she really is. It sounds so much like something my mom would tell me. She's like, you know, yeah. yeah. Don't stop someone else from blessing you. Just move that blessing. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's the whole like, yeah, larger, freer, more loving, right? You like it's such a tight circle. If all you were ever doing was repaying somebody who did something nice for you, you end up with a super closed system. Yeah, yeah. And so the idea right. of expanding outward is precisely that. Yep. You turn and like pass that blessing on. Oh no, I agree. Right, we end up with the racial cap. Oh, that gives me chills. That we have <laughs> right now, right? If we don't break out of that circle, we end up with Oh my gosh. The wealth of the same people hoarding their yep. power and resources over people over and over and over again. Exactly. Right. And the, the ways that they can see to help are just these same little, you know, like hamster wheel ways of helping. And yeah. Good, yeah. So we, of course, wanted to have you on here to highlight you and what, you've, what you mean and how you've actually lived out larger, freer, and more loving, not only living out your philosophy, but also allowing us to see how this thing plays out in the world morally. Um, we wanted our listeners to know that standing up isn't easy, but that there are scholars and people out there actually doing it, just like you, you know? Um, and we also, when we were coming up with this episode, we kept thinking about Derek Bell, um, Mm. Harvard, um, and Oregon, where he actually, um, pushed the departments to hire a non-white woman. They didn't do it and he left. And we thought, uh, these are the type of examples (laughs) bringing up in philosophy. Um, these are the type of people that are actually making a difference and not just talking about making a difference. So again, thank you so much for your example. Thank you for thank you. On the podcast. Um, I really, really, really enjoyed this time. We both did, 100%. We both did. Yeah, thank you. This is so fun to talk to you guys. Awesome. Thanks very much, Christina. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. It's so encouraging to have people like you guys out there having these conversations and inviting other people to it and then sharing them too. 
That's great. Like, I really enjoyed listening to the podcast you guys have already done. I'm going to keep listening. Yo, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>